If you have your Bible with you, uh, turn with me to the book of Colossians, chapter 1. I'm going to be reading in Colossians chapter 1 from verse 15 to 20, and then we're going to look together at verses 18 to 20. Colossians 1. He, that is Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for the Holy Scriptures. We thank you that you have spoken in the pages of the Bible. And we thank you, Lord, that you reveal yourself here in these truths. And I pray that you would, in the way that only you can, work in our hearts by your Holy Spirit to Reveal to us yourself the glory of your son Jesus and his gospel. Fill our hearts with affection and desire for you in greater measure. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. A fresh start. Whether you're playing a video game or a round of golf or typing an important email, We've all come to value the occasions in life where we have the opportunity to have a do-over or a fresh start. In a video game, it's as simple as hitting the reset button. Uh, when you're golfing, you just call for a mulligan and put another ball on the tee and try again. Or when you're typing, it's as easy as hitting the backspace. And just like that, your poor performance or your poor choice of words are erased from the record and you have another attempt to do better. You have a, a new beginning. But what happens when your failures extend to something that can't simply be reset? And what happens when you've messed up in ways that are irreversible? And more than that, what happens when these failures characterize not just you, but everyone you know? We read in Colossians 1.16 last week that all things were not only made by Jesus Christ, but also for him. That is, everything in this universe, including you and I, exists to bring glory to our creator by living in fellowship with him and reflecting his character and obeying his laws and promoting his greatness through our life and through our words. That is the very purpose of our lives. To put it in the language of an ancient Christian catechism, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That is the target that all of our lives is meant to be aimed at. But the testimony of scripture is that we have all failed to do so. 
All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, says Romans 3. All have sinned. Literally, all have missed the target. Every person that you and I have ever met, including the one we've met in the mirror, have failed at life's most fundamental purpose. We have turned away from the one who gives life and have sought to find life in people and in things. Like God said through the prophet Jeremiah, we have forsaken him, the fountain of living water, and carved out cisterns for ourselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. We as humanity have left the paradise that God offers in himself and have tried to make a paradise of this world without him. How would you say that is going? An honest assessment would conclude that we as humanity have taken the wrong path and are desperately in need of a reset button. But unlike a video game console, there is no cosmic reset button that we can all collectively press for a fresh start. Our failures can't simply be swept under the rug as we turn over a new leaf and determine to do better tomorrow. Our sin as a human race has left an indelible mark on our hearts and, have, and has left indelible effects in this world. And this sin must be dealt with. It must somehow be accounted for and triumphed over. And this is what Easter exists to address. This is why the resurrection and death of Jesus Christ is at the center of human history and at the pinnacle of importance for all people. Jesus Christ is the reset button that God has graciously provided to the world, to you and to me. Jesus is the fresh start. He is the new beginning. The resurrection of Jesus marks the inauguration of God's act of re-creation. As we heard on Friday, on the cross, on that first Good Friday, the perfect Son of God took upon himself the sin of the world that he might pay the debt in full. And that debt, as we learned on Friday, was death. Romans 6 says the wages of sin is death. And so, as a substitute for us, Jesus stood in our place to take our penalty. He was crushed under the weight of God's judgment for our sin, and it brought him to the grave. For three days, those who had been following Jesus and hoping to find in Jesus renewal for their lives had felt that all hope was lost. One of them, full of sadness, described it in this way. He says to an inquirer, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him? But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and beside all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. 
By all appearances in those three days, the grave had won. And the claims of Jesus to take away the sin of the world had proven to be empty promises. But on that third day, something miraculous happened. Something that vindicated the claims of Jesus to be the Savior of the world and forever changed the course of history. He rose from the grave. He took on what scripture calls mankind's last enemy, death, and he conquered it. And thereby ushered in a new beginning for for his people. Jesus is that new beginning. Let me read again our passage in Colossians. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Easter morning marked the beginning of a new creation in Jesus Christ. That is what Paul means when he says that Jesus is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. In verse 16, Paul showed how Christ was the beginning of the first creation. And here Paul shifts to the truth that in the resurrection, in being born from the dead, Christ has become the beginning of a new creation. And the resurrection of Jesus is the fundamental proof that that is in fact what God was doing through him. Without the resurrection, the claims of Jesus would have zero credibility. He would be like any other person in history who claimed to be a deliverer or a savior. Jesus was not the only one to make those kinds of claims. In fact, during his own lifetime, there were others who made similar claims, and they even gathered a following to themselves. But these followers invariably disbanded once their leader died and all their promises proved to be empty. One of the religious leaders in the first century, a Pharisee held in high honor, described it this way. He says, Before these days, Thutis rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas, the Galilean, rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. This is where Jesus stands apart from all others. He did what no one else could do. In his resurrection, he validated every one of his claims and inaugurated a new humanity that would endure into eternity. And so, his followers, who themselves were scattered for three days while Jesus lied in the grave, were reassembled after his resurrection. And they began to proclaim him to all the world, saying things like this. We are his witnesses of all we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. 
Jesus died under the penalty of the sins of the world and in his resurrection showed himself victorious in reversing the curse that came upon the world because of sin. He is the first human to come out the other side of the grave unto eternal, everlasting life. He is the beginning of a new creation. And the glory of Easter and the glory of the gospel message is that his victory is not merely his own. But as head of the church, his victory is shared with all of his people. This is why he is called the firstborn from the dead. Firstborn because he did what no one else before him had the ability to do, but also firstborn because in the plan of God, Jesus' resurrection would mean the resurrection of all his people. His conquering of sin would mean our conquering of sin. His birth from the grave would mean our birth from the grave. He was the firstborn. And all who come to him by faith, confessing their sin, confessing their hopelessness, and trusting in his guilt-canceling death and in his victorious resurrection, are also resurrected in him. He is, as scripture says elsewhere, the firstborn among many brethren. Those who identify with his death, confessing their own deserving of God's judgment as lawbreakers, can then by faith be joined to his resurrection from the dead and know the eternal life that is in him. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. And because of his resurrection, he takes the place of highest honor in both this world and in the world to come. Look again at verse 18. It says, He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything, or so that in everything, he might be preeminent. To be clear, Jesus Christ, as the Son of God, has no competitor when it comes to his intrinsic preeminence. There is no one greater than him. He pre-exists creation. He is the source of creation. He rules over creation and sustains creation. He is intrinsically and has always been preeminent. But here, Paul is saying, as a result of his resurrection, Jesus has taken on at least two new dimensions of preeminence. We're going to look at two of them. First, he has in his resurrection become preeminent in a new domain. He is not only preeminent, meaning not only first in existence and first in rank in this world, but in his resurrection has become preeminent in the new world and in the new humanity that is birthed in him. He reigns supreme as Lord over this world and the world to come. He is King of kings and Lord of lords, both in time and in eternity, both in the world and in the church, both in this age and in the age to come. And secondly, in his resurrection, Jesus has taken on what we're going to call ascribed preeminence. What has always been true of him objectively 
will be seen to be true of him subjectively by all creation. He has, in his life and death and resurrection, displayed before all creation the truth about his own glory and supreme worth. This truth that has always described him will one day be understood and ascribed to him by all creation. Paul, in the book of Philippians, puts it well. And as I read this passage, I want you to listen for the idea of ascribed preeminence. Christ Jesus, who, who though was, he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of his servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is preeminent. He has a name that is above every other name. And a day is coming when all people will confess this reality. Some will confess it with joy in their hearts as those who belong to him and have been redeemed by him. And others will confess it as conquered foes. Those who opposed him and refused to gladly submit to him. He will, in all cases, by all creation, be seen to be preeminent. There is no one like Jesus. There are, there are none that are like him in his essence, who he is. And there are none that are like him in his accomplishments, what he has done. And that's what Paul elevates next in our passage. I'm going to read Again, he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For, or because, in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, who he is, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross, what he has done. So Jesus is preeminent, first because of who he is, in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Jesus was far more than merely a religious teacher or a moral example or even a prophet. If he were merely those things, then there would be no hope in the Christian message. If he were merely those things, there would be no reason to follow him and forsake all. The fallen state of this world cries out for more than a religious teacher or a moral example or even a prophet. Scripture says that we, before Christ, were dead in our sins. We need someone with the power to overcome death and to give life. We need someone with the authority to forgive sin and the holiness to bestow righteousness on us. Without this, we cannot know God. Without this, we cannot have true eternal life. But thanks be to God, Jesus is more than a teacher, 
more than a prophet and more than a moral example for us to imitate. Jesus of Nazareth is the God of this universe in human flesh. He alone bridges the gap between the life of God and the soul of man. He is the only one that can take on the penalty of sinful humanity since he himself became a man and can conquer the grave in order to bring spiritual life since he himself is God. There is no one else in all of history of whom this can be said. Just a few verses later, Paul reiterates this glorious truth. He says, In him, in Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. You and I lack that which is necessary to have true and living communion with God. But in Jesus, all of our lack is supplied. He is the very fountain of life, and therefore those who come to him by faith are filled in him. So Jesus is preeminent because of who he is. But he is also preeminent because of what he has done. Look at verse 20. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Consider for a moment what it would have cost God had he not sent his son into the world as the Savior. If we are to believe the testimony of Scripture then we would conclude that it would have cost him nothing. God in the scriptures is described as self-existent, having existed forever in eternity past in pure joy and fullness. The psalmist in Psalm 90 says this of God, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the world or the earth, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And being self-existent, God lacks nothing and therefore needs nothing. Paul in Acts 17 says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. So this Jesus, being the embodiment of God, lacking and needing nothing, is the one who chose of his own accord to lay down his life for sinners like you and like me. Jesus said in John 10, I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. He is no poorer without us, and yet, in his great love, he was compelled to pursue us and redeem us at the cost of his own life, or as Paul puts it here at the end of our passage, by the blood of his cross. Who is like this Jesus? Who possesses in one person such power and authority while simultaneously such humility and grace? 
There is no one like Jesus. He is in every way preeminent. And he ought to be preeminent in our hearts, in yours, and in mine. But is he? Is he preeminent in your heart today? Can you say to Jesus along with the psalmist, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. Apart from a true and intimate knowledge of this Savior, we will never know lasting peace. Peace between God and man and peace among creation was made by Jesus on the cross. That's what Paul says in verse 20. God calls us to himself to be a people of peace and will one day call all of creation into a state of peace, into an eternal existence of life and joy and peace in his immediate presence. He is, as Paul says in the last words of our passage, making peace by the blood of his cross. In his death, Jesus has destroyed the barrier of sin that kept man from fellowshipping with God. That is reconciliation. And in his resurrection, he has begun to reverse the effects of sin in the lives of those who are his, reordering their affections and their desires to their created purpose. And the day is coming when this reconciliation will spread to all creation, to all things, as Paul puts it in this passage. God will do away with this earth and establish a new heavens and a new earth in which he dwells. The writer of Revelation gives us a glimpse into what that will be like. He says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. God, in the resurrection of Jesus, is reconciling his creation to himself. And he calls to us today, be reconciled. Trust in Christ for your life and for your eternity. See this Jesus as he is, as preeminent, and give yourself fully to him. He is worthy. He is the beginning of new life, and he is the giver of eternal life. Let's pray together. Lord, your gift of grace through Jesus Christ is indescribable. Your word tells us that we will spend the coming ages and ages 
diving deeper and deeper into the glory of the love that you have shown us in Christ. Lord, I pray that today you would give us grace to plunder more of the greatness of those riches that are stored up for us in Jesus. Help us, Lord, to walk in more of the fullness of the life and peace that is in the Savior. Open our eyes to behold more of the majesty of Christ on the throne, risen from the dead, reigning over this world and the next. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.